Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of World Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Amanda Radke, did you bring a crutch along today or are you standing alone? <laughs> I brought the real talent, Croy Radke, age four. Croy, how are you, Croy? Good. Good. He's got a lot to say. He's a man of many words. <laughs> How are the Radke clan today, Croy? Good. You getting new calves? Mm, yes. How's that going? Good. What? Good. It's snowy and cold and it's not fun at all. <laughs> Croy, tell your mom and dad, do like Trent and Kelly. Let's cabin May. <laughs> Hey, in April, May, it's going to be a muddy mess when this all melts, so have fun with that. Yeah, we kind of got, uh, except for the piles, I still have some piles that are 10 feet tall, but out in the flat, we kind of got that two-foot melt going on. Now, yesterday, we got a new new supply. I don't know. Yeah. Kelly said it was still snowing last night. I drove to Texas yesterday, left at 1230. I'm on a new run. You know, I just left my place, went to Chillicothe, Missouri, then to Chicago, DeKalville might be exact, and then drove to Bismarck. Now I've driven to Texas. I'm just, you know, seeing the country. Wow. I, I do that next week. I speak in Michigan, and then I do three stops in Ohio, and I'm just going to make a little a little loop across the countryside. Good, because I need you to get to Ohio and go report what's actually happening. I'm very tempted, honestly. I might have yeah. to do that. I've been tempted, and I've never been closer than 12 hours, and I've almost turned her east and headed headed out. Well, if the media reports are to believe, I'll go and report, and then I'll die of cancer in like a month, so there's that. Yeah, I did find a guy yesterday that's there from Texas that I know I could trust. I just haven't wrangled him yet. Mm. Well, we'll talk. If I can squeeze it in, I I seriously might. Cause How close I, are you, Columbus? Um, I looked it up from any of my stops. It's like two and a half hours. So it's not oh, exactly on the way. Hours. Yeah. Well, but Tom Bowen's already halfway there, but he just says, you want me to go out there? Well, yeah, go. Okay. Yeah. I'll see what tomorrow works. No, he's not there yet. Well, he's got, he's, he's got a life. He's got things to do. No, it's like doesn't. no one's in a rush to, um, drive to the middle of the next Chernobyl, I guess, if it is. That's the thing. I don't believe anything I read anymore. I don't know if it's real or not. I I, I honestly don't. Or if it's intended to um, scare us about something, which would it be a cover for something else that people are dying of? It suddenly? has to be. It has to be. Because it's too blatant and in your face. Well, you said it on Across the Pond. Maybe you should re- Maybe you should repeat it here. But how many train crashes or derailments are there in a day and a year? So I did a deep dive on this because uh, Marty told me yesterday, well, we had a train derailment uh, 70 miles from my house, a coal train derailed. Uh, Today is uh, Thursday, so it would have been Tuesday. And Marty said, oh, that's the 28th one this month. So that got me to thinking, what's an average month? And I went back to 1970. In 1970, there were 7,000 train derailments in the United States, 7,000 in the calendar year. And then I don't know what happened, but there was a drastic improvement. And you can see from 1970 to 1980, they go from 7,000 to where they've now plateaued at between 1,000 and 1,200 a year. 
So even at a thousand train derailments a year, that's three a day. Now, 80% of those train derailments are in the yard when they're trying to hook up some, some new car or something like that. So they're, they're actually minor, not what we're talking about in Gothenburg, Nebraska with the coal or in East Palestine, Ohio, but still three a day. Now I can't believe that. How come we've been this high for so long? Yeah, it's um, that that's my new mentality on anything that's coming across my my eyeballs on social media is number one. Um, they're, they're the entire media. It's not just the mainstream media. It's not just the left. It is all of media. They get paid on clicks and fear mongering and sensationalism. So even some of your favorite conservative podcasters, they're going to say the most dramatic things because it escalates their personal profile and their listenership. So I think everybody just needs to take a deep breath and say, okay, what's, what's the big picture here? I agree 100%. And that's the approach I've taken with Andrew every morning on Across the Pond, and he's not wired that way. <laughs> well, I'm probably wired like Andrew, and I'm married yeah. to Tyler, who's very reasonable. And that was his his comment was, well, how many normal trained derailments are there? But then if we apply that to, I have people messaging me every day about something new that they're worried about, whether it's our meat I supply, know. our water supply, our banking systems. I agree. We are... we. As a country, we may be witnessing the demise of America. And I agree our infrastructure is vulnerable and we've seen it come to fruition in many ways due to COVID. We've seen how vulnerable we really are. But what I also agree is if I spend all my day stressed out and worrying and having anxiety and fear about all these things are in the news, what I'm also doing is not taking care of myself and getting my own house in order. Which I think is the plan. Yeah, I think so, too. Just have us all riled up. We don't even know what to do. So what can I control as a mom, as a farmer, as a rancher, as a citizen of my own community? What is my sphere of influence? What can I what can I do to make my family more bulletproof and pivot through the ups and downs that are certainly to come and forget the rest? And, and maybe that means I'm not as engaged in a lot of issues as I should be. But it also means, like you said on on across the pond one day when you and Andrew were talking about nuclear bombs, I can't stop a nuclear bomb, but I can shop smart, maybe stockpile some food and water. I can teach my kids the Bible. I can get them ready to withstand the evils of this world. I can, I can take care of myself. I can be smart with my money. I can, I can do things in my own sphere of influence that can change the trajectory of, of my family's life and the people around me. And that's, that's my focus at the moment. Yep, I'm on the same page. Uh, I mean, I do know there was a fire yesterday in Tennessee at a uranium facility, and they were concerned about radioactivity leaving the facility. They say that nothing happened. We know that there is a, an accelerated number of fires. I don't dispute any of that. But how you discern what is state, not states, but what is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, enhanced or sensationalized, but I'll give you a good example in your back door. Did you hear about the massive fish death in uh, Huron? No. Yeah. So you didn't even hear about it. And yet Andrew, one day on Across the Pond, says, oh, they're killing fish now in South Dakota. I said, what are you talking about, Andrew? 
And so he's, he found online where somebody had found piles of dead fish in South Dakota, and it was part of a government conspiracy. And what really got me going on the maintaining this proper demeanor about this was to remember the cattle deaths. There were 20,000 steers in this part of the world where I'm at right now, in Vernon, Chillicothe, Texas, all up into Kansas, that died from heat. And it was just a, a strange weather week where they literally, I talked to the people that owned the cattle, and yet I saw people going, ate things, <laughs> Well, I got in myself trouble there. Doing eight <laughs> things all across the country about the government's killing cattle. No, I talked to the people that own the cattle. They know exactly what happened to them. It was the weather week that you could never have cattle survive. And, and yet and, these pin- pundits are still talking about those dead cattle like it's part of a grander conspiracy. Yeah. It's the same as the chicken feed thing. Like I've talked to enough poultry farmers now because I'm like, well, I got some backyard ducks and they haven't done nothing all winter long. Well, yeah, it's winter. They're 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 not working right now. And yeah. and the reason that the large poultry farms can have consistent egg production is because they are inside. They have the lighting. They have that perfectly controlled environment so that they can keep producing eggs. Where if yours are in the backyard, you know, maybe you don't have the solar lights going. You know, maybe it's too cold. There's there's a lot of factors that go into it. And uh, I think for the first time, people are realizing it because they're trying to grow their own food and they're realizing it's not as easy. I think it's a good thing, actually. What, that they're trying to grow their own food or that they're failing? Both. (laughs) Yeah. It's an education. I I I want to finish this fish story and then we're going to go to a break. All right. I found it was at the James River, which runs close to your house. A mile. near, Near Huron. And there have been massive fish kills. So I called Alan Crow, a friend of mine in Huron. I said, what's going on with these fish? And he gave me enough of information that I went searching. And literally what's happening is the winter has been so severe. The water flow of the James River has been so low at this dam region. The ice is outpacing what the fish can survive in. And they're basically suffocating from the lack of oxygen. When we had a pond, we'd still take cedar trees, throw them in the pond, when we had water in the pond, we don't anymore because of last year, just to keep oxygen and keep the some sort of a friction in the freezing of that ice. It's basic nature. People don't understand basic nature. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Roll Out of Manaraki Trent Loose. Maybe a surprise guest after this. Right off the bat today, let's talk about the certified Piedmontese opportunity. That's exactly what it is. An opportunity for Great Plains cattlemen to tap into a niche market that rewards you, the producer, for the quality of beef that is produced. In this case, it is tender beef. Details about certified Piedmontese at LoneCreekCattleCo.com or CertifiedPiedmontese.com. Welcome back. Roll out. Alongside Amanda Radke. To my point, I called four, no, I called five people. One knew about five people I know in Ohio. Back, not not last week, back in the first, so it happened February 3rd. And then I I was alerted to what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, with the train derailment on about February 13th or 14th. I called five people in Ohio, four of them had not even heard about it. Four of them are like, what ha- what's happening in Ohio? And here, you, you, you're the same response with the fish kill, massive fish kill in Huron, which is literally just an hour from your house, and you hadn't heard about it. And yet people around the world are talking about, look at the massive fish kill in South Dakota. 
this is the craziest time you could ever imagine. But you know what it comes from, Trent? It comes from the fact that people have PTSD from COVID. The fact mm-hmm. that here, here we are. And I even realized myself, here we are. It is a blizzard in South Dakota, which is nothing new. But yesterday, and I know Kelly missed it too because her church was canceled. We couldn't get to Ash Wednesday service for Lent. And in March 2020, or maybe it was early April, we had a blizzard in South Dakota during COVID. The churches were shut down anyway, and we were snowed in. And I got thinking about like, oh man, this feels like 2020 when they stripped us of our rights and locked us down and took away our ability to go to church. And it derives some feelings of, I don't trust the systems that be to protect me and to preserve my freedoms. And so people, I always say people have every right to question, whether it's a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a farmer, a rancher, ask questions, use critical thinking. But when we are reading these articles that are just straight up blown up, just like it's a movie, we have to think critically that even the people we think agree with or that confirm our thoughts or what we perceive is happening in the world, even if it lines up with what we're thinking about, there is there something to be gained from sensationalized reporting? And what is that motive? Because I think it's even beyond um, money and followers. I think there's a bigger agenda here, and that's why we're hearing about all of these train derailments right now. And the other thing that we hear about at an abnormal uh, rate is the people that die. We know that the deaths have accelerated, but if you, I don't go search any major news outlet, but for some reason, I think it was how it was set up on my computer. When you turn it on, you get all these headlines from different deals. And every take, the first one is 26 year old died. It's like, we know there's an acceleration of death, but they want to put it in my face to make sure we know it. Yep. Yep. I've noticed that too. In fact, there was, (laughs) there was a, an obituary for someone I had read and and the article about that individual said they had died suddenly, but then reading further, it talked about how they had cancer. And I was like, but that died suddenly phrase has now become like the two weeks to slow the spread phrase. Like, why is it in my face? And people yeah. would say, see, see, it's confirming what we think we know about the jab. It's confirming to me now I'm suspicious of all of it. Why is it in my face so much? Why is that phrase become the phrase? Now I have to take a step back, take a deep breath and figure out what is actually going on. And I'll put right in there the winter of 2023, 2022, 2023, because Steve Scholes, friend of mine from North Platte actually told me about a weather prognosticator who was predicting the wild winter weather. Uh, this is a normal Plains winter, by the way. This is not abnormal. This is the way it used to be. Right. Read Little House on the Prairie and you'll find out. <laughs> uh, but I, I really believe that enough people knew that this winter was going to be severe, that they ramp up the climate change to make everybody believe. I, I saw a little girl somewhere. It was just to, to plant the seed holding a sign up yesterday on some social media platform. Well, it can't be something. I'm only on two. So it had to be on one of the two I'm on. It said, you will die of old age. I will die of climate change. I mean, it's like all you had to do was read Michael Crittenden's State of Fear book and everything's explained. And he wrote that in like 88. Yeah, isn't that sad that our generation of kids is actually worried that their time is going to expire on Earth because we run out of our natural resources? They do worry about that. 
Like, I can't even imagine believing that. Like, yes, I, I want to be a good steward. And yes, I'm very concerned about a train derailment with toxic chemicals being burned up and covered up by our government who refuses to send FEMA assistance until Trump says, well, I'm going to go up there instead. And then the government says, okay, well, we'll go up there while they're sending $500 million more to Ukraine. Like all those things very much concern me. Um, however, I don't know. I just, I just think I, I'm now just, I used, it used to be the 24 hour rule I would have before I'd respond to something. Now it's like a week rule. And usually yeah, by the end of the I week, agree. it's like, oh, train derailments. That was yesterday's news. What are you even talking about? I just wish I would have got to Gothenburg with a pickup and hauled a load of coal home. That's what I wish. Uh, I misspoke, so I want to correct what I said wrong. State of Fear, written by Michael Crittenden, was a 2004, 2004 techno-thriller novel by Michael Crittenden, his 14th under his own name and 24th overall, in which eco-terrorists plot a mass murder to publicize the dangers of global warming. Hmm. It's, it's a great read. Isn't that something? I mean, it's as thick, and guess where they all go to plot out what happens for our future in that book? Where's that? Antarctica. Of course. Another place that we don't actually have the full story on. Uh, I, I think the story's coming full, pretty clear to me. <laughs> There's a bunch of old Nazis down there have been planning for 2023 through 2030 for quite some time. That's the, that's clearly what I see. Well, you know what really tipped me off about Antarctica was in 2016 when Trump won. The first news piece I read the next day after the election was that John Kerry was flying to Antarctica. And I was like, what the heck is he doing in Antarctica the day after the U.S. election? Like, what business, what affairs are going on up there? Like, what is the purpose? Or, so or, I, down, or down there. I mean, you know I'm lost half the time. I don't know. It's, it's a South Pole. If you're going to drive there, go South. Don't go North. So I won't see Santa there? He's at the other pole. Son of a gun. You learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, put that into context. What we just—why did? Why was it news? Why did we need to know that John Kerry went to Antarctica? That's my question. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. To which then it says we need to follow our own advice. Turn off the news. It's dumb. Like it's meant to manipulate you. Uh, absolutely. And you know, I got to tell you, uh, I have people every day. There's a new level of awareness about my Facebook ban since November the 11th every day. And people are like, do you know you've been hacked? <laughs> yeah, I, I got hacked November the 11th. Thanks for noticing right away. <laughs> Dude, you have no idea. I get a Facebook message every single day. I am going to turn in my driver's license and reclaim it for myself. So I can have your followers and so I can tell the masses, yeah, that weird post is not Trent. I mean, I know Trent's okay. weird, but he's yeah. not that weird. Okay, but you know how many people say, well, just create another account. I'm like, why would I do that? Why would I create another account for somebody who has blatantly banned me and, and not only banned me, now they're trying to slander me by making their own post because nobody can log in and get into my account. No hacker got in there. This is Facebook trying to slander me. Why would I want another Facebook account? Bye. Devin Nunes was right. Tell fake book to leave forever and go South Antarctica. <laughs> hey, 
Do you know who's back on Facebook? Uh, no. The one and only most banned man in America, Kevin Jenkins. He is not. He is. I texted him. I said, is this you? He said, yeah, he's back. Why would he go back? I don't I know. i call him. What, what the heck's he thinking? Why you? He didn't tell me he did that. Literally call him on the break and you guys can hash it out. Because I was shocked. I was like, ah, oh, it's another fake. So I screenshotted the profile and said, yo. <laughs> now, if people don't know, Kevin Jenkins was one of the dirty dozen or what did they call him? Yeah. The, the dirty 12, dozen, twelve. The dirty dozen with fake information, false information about COVID and medical health. Notably, he was the token one black guy, and when they reported on the dirty dozen, they used a wrong black guy's picture. Even so, they just needed one for diversity quota standards, and Kevin would agree with me. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah he he was banned everywhere, everywhere, and now he's back. And number one, I don't know how he's back, and number two, I knew you would even try. I don't know that we should yeah. ask him. Uh, I get great pleasure out of people who bring Kevin Jenkins on because they think they need this just poster child black person who's complies <laughs> and go along with whatever. Oh yeah, that's not Kevin. And then they're like, oh wait, you're going to speak up and say what you think? We don't want any part of that. See you, Kevin. Roll out <laughs> second half without Kevin Jenkins after this. And let's talk about protect the harvest. The ability to protect ourselves, our property, our family, our community, it really rests upon us to get details, to be better stewards of the land, better citizens of our county, and possibly better family members. It's all about taking a stand at the right time, not just rolling over every time somebody wants to take what you have. I will not be happy and own nothing. A free and fed America depends on you getting active. Protect the Harvest is your partner. ProtectTheHarvest.com. Welcome back. Roll out, Trent Loose alongside Amanda Redkey. I've got to talk about this. I brought this up on Across the Pond as well, but Amanda, this is a big deal in my mind. You know, as cattlemen, as poultry producers, as pork producers, as you as a, as a duck grower, Turkey, I think I've named them all, lamb producers. We do everything we possibly can to ensure the health and wellness of the animal. We're told we got to do this for animal welfare. we got to do this to make sure that we have a, a safe food product. And then, again, Steve Schultz, thank you for being my great informant. He informed me that PSSI, which stands for Packers Sanitation Services, Inc., is a food cleaning company. These food companies like Sioux Falls, yeah. uh, Smithfield, they struggle to keep their shifts employed and filled with people to come and, and work the, the pigs and turn them into pork. So they hire out, and all food companies do this for whatever reason, they hire out a cleaning and sanitation service, mm -hmm. which happens to be PSSI more times than not, owned by Blackstone. They are they're on their own website. They brag about cleaning 700 food locations in the United States. And they brag about cleaning what equates to 300 million meals a day for the United States citizens. 300 million meals? A day. What do you mean meals? Meals. 
So they take the amount of food that they're responsible for cleaning up in their facilities where they hire them as a contract cleaning sanitation service. So if you were to make the assumption that there's 300 million people in the United States who roughly eat three meals a day, there's a billion meals consumed in a given day, right? Yeah. They're claiming responsibility for the cleaning and sanitation in the factories of one third of U.S. food. And okay. This, this has come to my awareness because on February the 16th, they paid a $1.5 million fine for knowingly hiring 31 13 to 17 year old individuals to work and that's a violation of child labor laws. Oh. That's bad enough. The real issue here is you want to talk about a vulnerable food supply? You want to talk about one of the weak points? How tough is it? We know, I actually know friends that own packing plants that hire them to clean for them. I've already yep. had this conversation. And I was told that there are people who work a shift during the day for the food manufacturer. In my case, happens to be I know a pork processor who then knows that many of their employees work for this cleaning outfit during the night. But if you want to talk about somebody who has daily access to one third of the meals consumed, does anybody not see this as a vulnerable spot for our food safety? So what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Number one, bring awareness. Number two, make sure that people buy their food from somebody local in a regional system instead of relying on these global conglomerates because your local packing plant, your local butcher shop does not employ this global entity owned by Blackstone, sponsored and originated by Lehman Brothers, who want you to have an ESG score, who want to control your life at every turn. Stop funding the businesses that they work for. That's what I want you to do. So, Trent, Mr. Agricultural Advocate, are you on air telling people they should be scared of the food that they can buy at the regular grocery store? What I'm telling people is that your consuming dollars, where you spend your money, determines who is supplying the food. And we have consolidated the food business to the point where the centralization of our food system should not continue to happen. Walmart should not continue to supply one third of the food that is sold in the United States. Buy from your local grocery store. Buy from your local farmer. Change your consuming habits to detour this risk, which is obviously a vulnerability. And do it at a time when everything's super expensive and people are barely making ends meet. No, I don't buy that. What? Come on now. Inflation is great. No, I'm not. I don't care. I know it is. But I drove from Chicago to Bismarck on Saturday. In in Wisconsin, I stopped at five hotels before I had one that had a room. Oh, that's it. I just lied to you. One had a room. I'm going to name them because I don't even know what's going on there. The Great Wolf Lodge. My thought was, it's February. Wisconsin Dells going to have all these empty rooms. Nobody goes to Wisconsin Dells in February, right? Wrong. Right. I walk into the Great Wolf Lodge, Wisconsin Dells, and first, my first sign was, I might as well leave because there is a thousand kids in the lobby doing funs and games and all this other stuff. I make my way through all the families having fun. I go over there. It is a Saturday night. I'll grant you that. A Saturday night where President's Day is good. Apparently nobody had school on Monday. Homeschoolers even took the day off. 
So anyway, I make my way through the crowd. I go there. I say, do you have a room? She says, one person, one night. I said, yes. She said, let me look. She looks. She comes back. She don't even tell me. She writes it down on a piece of paper and slides it in front of me. Do you know how much that room was for one person, one night? What's that? $695. Oh, no. So don't tell me that inflation is causing hardship with families when this place, and I, I stopped at five hotels. It was the fifth hotel that I finally got a room. And it was way too much. And by the way, it was 100 miles past the Dells. I had to drive that far away from the Dells to find a room. So I'm not buying it. And what we do know is that they're spending money that they were given. I think that money is long gone, Trent. But yes, I agree. So where's this money coming from? Because they're still spending money on entertainment and complaining about inflationary food costs. You are, you are right there. My My survey of the American public is that people are not changing their lifestyle standards at all. They're not, they're not dropping down and being more conservative right now. They, mm-hmm. I, I actually heard the phrase it's, it's um, comeback or uh, what well, not comeback, but it's, it's revenge travel that people are mad that they couldn't travel in the last couple of years with COVID. And so they don't care what anything costs. They're going to go have memories together and go travel. Whereas you and I come from a place where we're like, people were about yeah, to start. We don't, do we don't do that. Farmers and ranchers are going out of business by the day. Like they're barely right. holding on. The inputs are crazy. The risk is crazy. Everything's volatile. I had one guy just 20 miles down the road from me emailed me desperately because he had a bunch of cattle just die or this summer died because the saltwater content in his stock pond was too high. And during the drought and the cattle died and he can get absolutely no assistance on the livestock program um, from the government. And he's just like, I'm out all of these cattle. It was a freak thing. And so there's no, there's no safety net if you are on the back end trying to produce food. And you are right. People need to prioritize where they shop from. I would be devastated if my local grocery store went out of business, but I know their margins are razor thin. I would be devastated if half my neighbors that are involved in the beef industry call it quits because they can't make it work. And let's face it, most of us are supplementing our production agriculture enterprises with off-farm income. And yet, until we prioritize that, these people are going to continue to go out of business and become extinct until your only options are Walmart and Cargill and whatever. Like so, But I don't think the American people are going to prioritize that until they're forced to prioritize it. And by then, it might be too late. I've gotten so um, unaware of people saying, I agree with you, Trent, on this program that I don't even know to go where to go with that. You agree with me? Yeah. You know, that's all I wanted to hear. That's all uh-huh. I needed. <laughs> yeah, right. You never agree with me. You know <laughs> what? You reminded me. I'm going to make this very, uh, try to get it out there again today. Trent on the loose last fall, one day, because everybody says, including my household. I didn't just say that. Jury disregard that statement. Everybody says that I can't buy at the local grocery store. They charge too much. They charge $5.20 for a gallon of milk. I can get it for $4.79 somewhere else. Really? So what I did, I did an entire turn on the loose in my local grocery store, walking through on key items. And then I went 30 miles down the road to Kearney to a larger grocery store, Hy-Vee, which does a great job, but I compared the prices Guess which one was? They were the same. 
They're mm-hmm. exactly the same if you average everything out. Yeah, but haven't you bragged on your grocery store that they haven't been raising prices? Like you have a unique one. If I go to Colburn's in Mitchell, which is my preferred grocery store, I'm definitely paying one to four or five dollars more for literally but every item I buy. It's not a locally owned grocery store. Well, it's as local as I can get here. You don't Compared- have an affiliated group, affiliated foods grocery store locally? Yeah, you have to. Okay. No, I don't. I have a Walmart and we they have. Call, they don't call affiliated groceries anymore. <laughs> we have County Fair, Coburn's, and Walmart. Oh. County Fair? Who owns County Fair? That is locally owned also. It's it's across town for me, but I'm pretty loyal to my Colburns. It's on the north side of town. Are you, are you me yeah, because it's convenient. Well, yeah, but it's still... Oh, okay, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're being a hypocrite. Wait, just because they're reg- they have regional, they, they have a chain, they're bad too now? I don't know. Who owns them? There's local people that work in these places. I don't know. Now you're telling Who me I have to change them? my grocery store. I don't know. Who, no, you were the one who said that to begin with. Guys, this is what it's like having a conversation with Trent Luce. He's going to entrap you. He's going to say, you, I agree with everything you say. He's going to lull you in complacency, and then he's going he's gonna to strike when the moment comes. When All he can, I ask is who this, owns them. This is gotcha journalism right You've here. You've got to know who owns I don't, them. I don't, I don't actually I'll it's a Minnesota-based company located in St. Cloud that goes back to 1921 when Chester Coburn opened a single produce market in Salt Rapids, Minnesota. Today, they have 8,000 employees in 53 supermarkets in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, operating under Coburn's. Cash-wise foods, oh, save a lot, and marketplace food banners. There you go. Now you know. Well, am I allowed to shop there by your standards? It's your choice. I'm not making your choice. We live in a free country. You can choose where to, where you shop, but you have to pay the price for what you decide. Roll out. One segment left. We'll do it after this. That was good. I want to talk to you about an auction now. Dan Perodic, a friend of mine, longtime auctioneer, Perodic Auction Services in South Dakota, Dan's got three ranch auctions coming up in the next two months. The first one, March the 8th, near Belfouche, South Dakota. I'm bringing it up because I want you to check it out. Maybe you're interested in purchasing a ranch near Belfouche or in South Dakota. And hopefully, you're not a Chinaman. <laughs> I'm just wanting to make sure this sells to somebody domestically. Parodic Auction Services. Full details about that March 8th, March 8th ranch. That's not that easy to say at parodicauctionservices.com. Parodic, P-I-R-O-U-T-E-K. But Monday of this week, I was very honored to be a part of the Wall of Honors recognition of 33 state legislators in, uh, excuse me, 32 state legislators, one attorney general in the state of North Dakota who are either veterans, active duty, or first responders in their community. And it was, uh, it was, it was a great event. I had a blast. It's an honor to be a part of it. Meanwhile, when you're in the Capitol, you hear about what's going on. 
and I ran into a young man who I met at the Man March. You, I think you met him at the Man March as well, and he's now lobbying as part of his school curriculum, which I think is pretty cool. One of his lobbying entities is uh, an entity that is supporting funding private schools at some level, and it's through a tax credit. And then I got home, and I was talking to somebody in Lincoln, Nebraska, state capital in Nebraska, and they were talking about this initiative to fund private schools. Again, Mm -hmm. I'm saying private schools, not home schools. And I said, do private schools want to be funded? Because when you get funding from the state or the government, it comes along with strings. And he, Mr. Lobbyist, who's a great kid, he said, oh, we, we've got this set up. We know that that's an issue. We're setting up tax credits. And at no point in time will there be a string attached where the, you, you have to teach this or that curriculum. I said, you know, every good endeavor starts this way. Yep. And then down the road, somebody hijacks what was started. So what do you think about school funding for private schools? Well, you already know what I think because I yelled at you at like 3.30 a.m. on our drive (laughs) home from Mississippi last summer, woke up from a dead sleep to tell you why school choice and funding, having the money follow the kids is a trap. So you already know. But yeah, the conservatives are going to run on that. They're going to make it sound really good that the money should follow the kids, whether it's homeschooling or private schooling or a charter school. And frankly, it sounds pretty nice to have someone pay for my kids' curriculum. But let me tell you, it's already happening because my Christian school in Mitchell, South Dakota, and my Catholic school in Mitchell, South Dakota are already taking public funding and they are using the public school curriculum and calling it a Christian education. I have friends in California who already have so much oversight, they are not allowed to use their curriculum, their money that they receive from the government to buy any curriculum that has creationism in it, evolution only. They cannot use it for any type of religious curriculum. They have to check off all these boxes or they're not qualified to use that money. When you open up the door to receive government funding for your children's education, stipulations will come with it. I guarantee it. Freedom and sovereignty and independence is is critical to me, whether it's private property ownership on my land or it's educating my children and making sure they're free of indoctrination. Just period. Like, I'm not willing to negotiate on those things. I don't think we should. I agree with you 100%. In fact, I was in a a small school in Kansas last week, and I said, uh, what would it take to get your school board to say, we're not going to accept any more money, particularly in the school lunch program, so that we're not controlled? And she said, it'll never happen. Yep. Because we have to have that money. And as long as we are of the mindset that we have to have federal funding or any type of funding, federal or state funding for education. You're a slave. I'm using Kevin. You're a slave. But money sounds good. And, and, you know, I know by speaking out on this, I'm going to be at odds with the majority of conservative politicians because that's what constituents are telling them that they want because they see the problem with the government-funded public schools, and they think they think the solution is I will go homeschool or I will go private school my kids. But yet they still have that government-funded mentality when they say, oh, yeah, but bring that funding with me. Bring that funding with the kids. Well, what do you think happens when the government gets their hands on a program? Does it get better or does it get worse? 
So yeah. you have to trust that your government isn't going to see that window of opportunity and say, here's a way for families to afford to get out of the system and do something better for the their kids. But if you don't think those agendas that are in, weaved into every lesson in our public school curriculum, mind you, Bill Gates is the founder of Common Core, which puts parents at odds with their children because they don't know how to help their kids with their math classes. That is following you wherever you go then, guaranteed. What yeah. is your child's education? What is their morality, integrity, and upbringing worth to you? Like, take the cash, I guess, but I'm not taking it. Yeah, and what will happen, and I'm sure it's already happened, and you're probably in tune with it, when you don't comply and buy whatever curriculum that they think you need, then you're arrested for failing to educate your kids, even in a homeschool environment. Yep, pretty much. It's like... All, all of these schools, even in Mitchell, South Dakota, got all this COVID money, even the private schools. Every every kindergartner as they walk into these private schools gets a tablet. That was funded by government COVID money. Why does a kindergartner need a tablet? They don't. They need to play. They need to be outside. I had a tablet as a kindergartner. What, what like a rock? No, it had a spiral across the top of it, and you'd flip the pages oh. up. <laughs> See, we don't even know what a tablet really was anymore. No, I'm just saying there there are strings attached. And I have told my priest, point blank in a meeting, you can't call it a private Catholic school, slap Jesus on the side of it and take that government money, which is what, 13 grand per kid, and then have that curriculum be what you're teaching. 14,000 is the average in the state of Nebraska. It's wild. And well, you know our what? school, Loop City, gets 28,000 total but the average for the state is 14 though i have had an influx of people asking me about homeschooling that they mm. the, the straw has broke the camel's back there's something they saw whether it was the scholastic book fair with all of the trans books being sold or i was literally in a minnesota public school reading my books which you said we can't talk about but reading my children's books to 850 students and it was open discussion with the teachers. There are pagans, Wiccans, cats, and dogs with kennels, and none of the teachers say a darn thing. And they just go with it. That So to me, it says... Whoa, 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 whoa. Tell me about the Wiccans. In what school? Well, I mean, I hate to in, individually name the school, but it's a Minnesota public school, and it's happening everywhere. I but, remember the first Wiccan, first self-proclaimed Wiccan I met. Wendell Shum and I were in Ontario. I was speaking for him in Ontario, and we went to an event the night before. It was like a reception. And yeah. the young lady waiting on us was so proud to tell us about her being a Wiccan. And I had never met a witch, so I wanted to know. Tell, tell me about this. And this fascinating conversation. I, mean, I saw a cat for the first time in real life in Mitchell, cool. South Dakota. It wasn't in a school. It was it was a grown up cat. A grown up cat? A grown up furry. I got I was pretty scared, honestly. <laughs> but, is, that, uh, is that grown up furry teaching in the Metro Public School system? No, I don't believe she was a teacher. But what I the reason I bring that up is because when we look at the public school system and we're told mm -hmm. that there has to be a separation that God's not allowed in the school, that you can't teach morality based on Christian values. Oh. Well, they're letting somebody's religion into the public school system. Yeah, absolutely. Because, 
Wiccans and pagans and furries adhere to their own moral compass. That's a religion. And that's being allowed in the public school system. And my religion is not. I'm not saying I think you, you should take that louder. You need to get louder about that. Push that envelope. I mean, I'm kind of of the mentality. It Homeschooling is really hard. Stepping out of the system, having my kids at home every day while trying to work and ranch, it is hard. It is not for the faint of heart. I think about quitting every single day at moments of the day because it is that hard. So I'm not going to bash other families for what they got, what they seem like they have to do, what they got to do. Um, but I have to say the fruits are there. You can't bury your head in the sand about what's going on. And if you're not filling your kids' hearts and minds with the moral compass and character that you want them to grow up with, and if you think you can get it done in an hour at night before between homework and shower and supper, um, good luck. I know I need all day. And so what I read was by taking my kids out of the public school, I reclaim 17,000 plus hours with my children that I get to plant seeds. If they are weird at the end of it, it's my fault. It's not It's not a teacher's fault that spent nine months of one school year in second grade plugging them with crazy ideas. I can't blame that. I can only blame myself. So I'm taking responsibility. Like I said, if my kids I'm, suck, I'm, it's I'm, on me. I'm here to tell you that even if your kid's in the public school system and they turn out to be a weirdo, it's still your fault as a parent. It's not the <laughs> teacher's fault. I don't know. We outsource everything now. Like we think uh, we're not parenting is not something you should outsource. But I know I know they do. Yep, and it's but it's hard when you know how much how much easier it is to would be if my, my kids would be on the bus right now. I would have eight hours of quiet that I could work, I could do my own thing, I could go out and get what I needed done. And but I have families that I'm talking to right now that either they both work full time, like Tyler and I do, or one works full time, one's working um, at home virtually. People are making it work. They're making that hard yeah. decision. It's the same as paying a little bit more for your groceries to support a local farmer. If we don't pour into our kids and teach them this moral compass that they need to withstand the evils of this world, what do what does our future look like? It, it's scary out there. It is scary. My kids are going to have the armor of God on, and they're they're not going to fall prey to this crap that's out there. And I I know I sound crazy right now, but that's just I think the battle. Actually, line it's the most out. sane you've ever sounded. Oh wow! Keep the compliments coming. I do need to come. I do need to clarify one thing before I close today. I said the average student in Nebraska gets fourteen thousand in state funding. That's an incorrect statement. The average for all Omaha public school systems is fourteen thousand. The rural schools get left out because of the TOSO formula. For all Nebraskans that are listening, I just want to make sure we had that clear. The average for Omaha is fourteen thousand per student. The Loop City school system gets the equivalent of two Omaha students. Well, they want us all to move to the big cities, right? 15-minute cities. I didn't hear about that until this week. Now it's everywhere. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America for Amanda Redke and Trent Luce. Both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route. In closing today, let's talk about a reliable source of energy, in particular lignite coal. The men and women involved in the lignite coal business, recovering it from the soil, getting it to the coal-fired power plant, then burning it, are dedicated individuals. They're they're most often not like our workers in the agricultural sector, interestingly enough. These are local folks, ranchers, farmers, young people that grew up with their parents in the, the coal strips. 
And then the 22,000 acres of reclamation, that's probably the greatest untold story. Get more details about lignite coal and what it is that uh, these individuals do to keep our lights on and keep our water heated at lignite.com. Watch these I Am Lignite videos there as well. Done as well as anything I've seen. Ask Robert Farnham about coal at High Plains Cattle Supply. And he's got the pork jerky.